dealing with um, the series entitled, This is Jesus, and it's my privilege to pick up on one aspect of that and speak to you today about Jesus in the scriptures. Uh, I'm, I'm not a, you know, I don't have degrees, certificates, diplomas hanging on my wall. The only thing I've really studied that uh, I've done to, within the context of my ability, uh, has been the Word of God. And uh, I have no other claim to fame. Uh, I, I, I can only say to you that I love the Word of God, and that has been, for me, the objective uh, all the years that I've been walking with Jesus. And so I do mean it when I say I consider it a privilege to be able to talk to you today about Jesus in the Scriptures. The Bible, we all understand, is the inspired, authoritative, and inerrant word of the mighty God. Uh, we, we, we look at Scripture and we understand what we are reading is what has been recorded under the unction and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, recording what God wants us to know. That's why we call it the Word of God. It is God speaking to us. And uh, we, we have one hindrance here this morning... And that is called time. Uh, there's no way I'm going to make it. Uh, so you need to pray for a miracle. That somehow, uh, you know what happened to Joshua? The sun stood still for an entire day. Time did not move on. Or if you, that scares you, then pray to experience the miracle Hezekiah had when the uh, the sundial went back 10 degrees. So, so you can pray that when at the end of this morning and I've preached for two hours, you'll think, wow, that was quick. It was only like 20 minutes or something like that anyway. But we, we're, we're going to look as best as we can in the time left for us here this morning at Jesus in this wonderful book called the Bible, the Word of God. Um, we know that it consists of uh, 66 writings uh, by multiple authors who wrote over a, a, a period of, they reckon, around about 1,500 years. But despite that, it is one book with one aim, one message, and that is to bring mankind into a relationship with God, to bring us into the experience of salvation. From, from Genesis through to the back of the book, Revelation, the Bible is calling people to come to God. God's heart is revealed that he wants to save sinners. And the promise of redemption... It's not just something we begin to read about when we turn to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the rest of the New Testament. 
we find the promise of redemption going right back into the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. So the entire Bible uh, encompasses a message that points to the one who makes salvation or redemption possible for us, Jesus Christ. The entire book is there. The Old Testament tells us he's coming. The Gospels tell us he's arrived. The book of Acts proclaims him and shows us his acts through the Holy Spirit. The epistles further explain him. And the book of Revelation says he's coming back again. This Jesus that you saw taken up into heaven, to the words to the disciples, he is coming back again. That's the Bible in a nutshell. Uh, you need far more than that, by the way. But that, that, that is what it's about. So Jesus is, is the one that you can see bookending all of Scripture. When we, when we look at the very first verse of the Bible in Genesis 1-1, it says, In the beginning, <clears throat> God created the heavens and the earth. And Jesus was right there in that. He was present in that action. We know that Jesus was God's agent in creation. We read in the New Testament, in John 1, 3, it says, everything that has come into being, or everything that has been created, has been created by Christ. And then that is backed up by another scripture, Colossians 1, 16, where it says, all things are from him, by him, and for him. So we're left without, without any question whatsoever that Christ was there in the beginning, involved in the act of creation. And then the very last verse of the Bible, Revelation 22 and 21, says this, <clears throat> the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So the first verse and the last verse point to Jesus. He bookends, as I said, the entire Bible. I suppose we could say the entire Bible is a hymn book. And we can, we can find him in the pages of Scripture from beginning right through to the end. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope the pages of your life is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Our text we find in Luke chapter 24 verses 13 to 27. We're not going to read all of it. Um, <clears throat> we'll just read a few verses, but that portion of Scripture deals with the two guys who just left the other disciples in Jerusalem. Jesus has been crucified, he's been buried in the tomb, and they're making their way back seven miles away from Jerusalem to a place called Emmaus. And they're walking along the road, and they, they're very disconsolate, they, they, they're upset, they're, they're grieving, they're a bit confused as well, because... Before they left, uh, the other disciples, uh, some women had gone to the, to the grave very early in the morning, and uh, they'd come back with, with startling news. 
They said when we got to this grave, he wasn't inside the tomb. Uh, and, and, and we didn't know where he'd, where he'd been taken. Uh, and as we were wondering and confused about all this, two men came and stood by us. And they, they, were, they were dressed in radiant white clothing. And they said to us not to be worried because he told us that he was going to rise from the dead and that he, was, he would go ahead of us to Galilee. So they came back and they told the disciples this. And it's a bit of a humorous phrase right there. It says that all the others looked at them and thought they were talking nonsense. Well, you can imagine how, how they felt with that news. And then, obviously, they had to leave the group and go back to Emmaus. And so they're walking home. And the Bible actually says that they were downcast. Of course, they'd had expectations. They'd seen so much of what Jesus had done and the authority he exercised and the power he displayed. And then, boom, he's gone. He's gone. They saw him die on a cross. They saw him put into a tomb. And despite the women's good news, None of them had yet seen him at that point in time. And as they walking back to Emmaus, the Bible says Jesus came and joined himself to them. Now, there's a sermon right there, but we won't get sidetracked. We'll stick with our story. And, and, and Jesus began to speak to them. Verses 25 to 27. O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't say they weren't believing. He said they were just a bit slow in getting the faith wheel going. That, that comforts me, <laughs> because there are times that my faith wheel is a bit slow to get into momentum. Slow to believe what the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things? Now, this is Jesus talking to them and to enter into his glory. Now, just embedded in those few words is a magnificent revelation. Yes, you did see him suffer. You saw him whipped. You saw him uh, hit in the face. You saw his beard out. You saw all of that. You saw him go on to the, the wooden execution stake. You saw all of that. It was necessary for him to suffer. And they were so overwhelmed by the suffering, they forgot that it was necessary in order to him to enter into his glory. It was not just the suffering. There was the entering into his glory but they were so overwhelmed by... Isn't this what happens to us? So overwhelmed by the circumstances that our vision gets stunted. Uh, we, we can't see past what has just happened. But here is encouragement for us. God is not finished yet. God has not sat down and folded his arms and decided he's done enough. Well, in a sense, he has. We've got to appropriate what he has done. We've got to appropriate it by faith. But, but there's a, a wonderful insight here into what still was to happen. And Jesus goes on to say, it says, beginning with Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, 
And with all the prophets, that would be the rest of the Old Testament canon, the, 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 the scripture, the Old Testament. He explained to them things concerning himself. All, in all, the scriptures. So Jesus takes the scriptures as they exist. There was no New Testament yet. Hadn't been written, but he takes the, all the available scriptures and he points to himself in every part of it. Well, not every part of it. It would have taken 40 hours for him to explain that all. But in, in one and about one and a half hours, he takes the highlights, the, the mountain peaks, the high points, and he explains about himself. What does that tell us? If he took everything that was in the first five books of the Bible and then the Psalms as he refers to it later on, the Psalms and the prophets, uh, he, he explains, points to himself and what was to happen to him in all the scriptures. And by doing that, he's saying, listen guys, open your eyes. I am the central theme of all of the Bible, of all of the scriptures. He's, he's saying to them, that he's, he's revealing to them the supremacy and the centrality of himself in the scriptures. You look at me as if you don't believe what I'm saying. <laughs> but I want to walk to, through three things as best as I can this morning, and as quickly as I can. I want to point you to the perfect unity of the message of Jesus Christ in the scriptures as they were at that time. I want to point, to, to, uh, point out to you the, the central theme message of those scriptures, what it was. And then I'd like to close by challenging us as to how we can personalize it, how we can appropriate it, how we can make it real, reality for ourselves. First of all, the perfect unity of Scripture. Jesus lays a very firm foundation in verse 25. He says to them, Why are you so slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken? And there are quite a number of prophets that had spoken over those hundreds of years. And Jesus, by saying that, is declaring that they spoke with one voice. There was no dissension. There wasn't disagreement amongst the prophets in their message concerning the Messiah. They all spoke with one voice and were extremely complimentary of one another in what they had to say. They spoke the same message, the same truth. In verse 27... And beginning with Moses, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and with all the prophets from Joshua through the Psalms, through Malachi, Jesus began to explain of himself in the entirety of 30, the 39 books of the Old, Old Testament. In all the scriptures, it says there. And so by doing that, Jesus is declaring the perfect unity that existed in the Old Testament scriptures from Moses right through 
to Malachi. It all hangs together. Perfect unity. We see the Old Testament prophets were united in their, in their thought. When you read through Scripture, you discover there's only one origin given of the world. There's only the end, one explanation for the entrance of sin and death into uh, the human race. There's only one diagnosis of, of man's problem, which is, boils down to unbelief resulting in disobedience. There's only one way of salvation described. There's only one standard of morality given. There's only one description of the nuclear family given. A father, a mother, and the children. Everything else is outside of the biblical, uh, uh, of the acceptance of how God views things. There's only one flow of human history. There's only one end of the age that is talked about. There is only one final judgment. And there is only one final eternal state. All the prophets speak the same thing. And so we look at the, and we can see that unity that emerges in all of the Old Testament scripture. We walk a bit further, and we're now focusing on the central theme of the Old Testament Scriptures. We don't have to convince you of the New Testament. The New Testament is full of Jesus. He's talked about, he's, he's, he's described, we see him, we, we follow him, we hear him. And then in the epistles and later on, he's written about again and again, and he's, he's, he's referred to by name. So I'm not worried about the New Testament. I want to show you Jesus in the Scriptures. We know he's in all of the, Old, the New Testament. I want to show you him in the Old Testament. And when the New Testament eventually is written, we simply see it's an extension with perfect continuity of the Old Testament truth. And so, the central message, verses 25 to 27, Jesus states that he himself is the master theme of the entire scripture. Verse 25, foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. And then Jesus begins to unfold that statement to them beginning with Moses and all the prophets. And with that statement, what Jesus is doing, because he's now talking about himself, beginning with Moses, Genesis, and all the prophets through to Malachi, Jesus is putting his arms around the entirety of that Old Testament teaching. He explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. I've, I've circled that word all in my Bible. It's a red letter word in all the scriptures. He explains to them that the overarching master theme of the entire Old Testament is the Lord 
Jesus Christ, his person and his work. It's not the first time he says that. He'd said it once before when he was dealing with religious rulers and and they were giving him a hard time and inciting the people to to back them against him. And and Jesus said to him in John 5.39, You search the Scriptures because you think in them, in the Scriptures, you have eternal life. It is those very Scriptures that you think you have eternal life in that speak about me the true source of eternal life. The scriptures are only pointing to me. Eternal life is in me, and you're not seeing it. You think that because you have the scriptures, because you are the custodians of the scriptures, you're okay. But you're missing it by a country mile. I'm there in all of those scriptures that you lay so much significance and importance upon, Jesus was saying to them. In other words, the entire message of the Bible points to and testifies of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul, when he he later, many, many uh, hundreds uh, of years after the Old Testament, uh, he, he writes to the church in, in Corinth, and in, in that first letter, he writes to them, chapter 1, verse 23, he says, We preach Christ crucified. And the next chapter, verse 2, he says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so we quite rightly respond to that. And we say, now hang on, wait a minute, Paul. We've read the New Testament. You taught a a whole lot more than just Christ and him crucified. Well, Paul wrote 13 epistles. And we know that he preached, he wrote, and he taught on all the 10 areas of systematic theology. We know that he taught about the Bible. He taught the scriptures, bibliology. We know that he he taught on the nature of God, theology proper. We know that he uh, taught on the person, the the, uh, nature and the role of Christ, Christology. We know that he, he, he talked on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Pneumatology. We know that he, 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 he spoke and taught about angels, the doctrine of angels, angelology. We know that he spoke about the origin, the nature, the destiny of human beings. Anthropology. We know that he, he, he talked about, about sin. He laid that out for us. Hamashiology. He talked about the doctrine of salvation, soteriology. He talked about the study of the Christian church, ecclesiology. He talked about the science of last things, eschatology. So Paul did. He, he, Paul's theology, we find the threads of his theology coming 
into a, a, a high point where it, the lines of his theology intersect, and they all intersect in one focal point, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why he say, I preach Christ and him crucified. This is the heart of Scripture. Jesus and what he's done for us. Paul was only doing what the Godhead did. Remember on one occasion God spoke and he was speaking about Jesus and he said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. We know the Holy Spirit, when he came, his task was to take everything that Jesus spoke and to remind us of it. So Jesus is at the heart of anything. He's the pinnacle of all the lines of theology. I'm going to have to skip a lot. So as we consider all these wonderful things about the Old Testament. I'm not surprised that Jesus makes such an expansive statement as he did when he talked to those Emmaus walkers. Beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained himself in all the scriptures. Jesus is not saying here that he's in every single text of the Old Testament. Jesus only had time to address the high points, the mountain peaks, as we've already said. He could only address those major places where he could be found in the Scriptures. And as he did that, he brought in that verse Verse 26, that we briefly touched on. He says to them, was it, not ne- was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? What was necessary? Well, it says his suffering. His suffering was necessary. Again and again and again, the Old Testament says that he must suffer This was the sin-bearing part. This was a substitutionary death on the cross of Jesus. The Old Testament made that clear. And let me me run through some pointers that, that in the Old Testament that will show that to us. Begins in Genesis 3.15. Here we have the, the very first glimpse of the gospel. The preacher giving the gospel is God. And the congregation is the devil and possibly Adam and Eve. And Jesus says this. He proclaims in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman was going to come onto the seed, uh, onto the scene, and that the seed of the woman would have his heel bruised by the serpent, but that the seed of the woman in turn would crush the serpent's head. Bruised, yeah, he would suffer, but he would recover from that suffering and he would crush the serpent's head. 
And here we have a foreshadowing of the resurrection of Jesus. And was it not that Jesus, when he rose from the grave, he said, I have the keys of Satan's domain, of hell and death. I have them now. And all authority has been given to me in heaven, on earth, and even under the earth. So he's pointing to the fact that, yeah, although he was bruised on the cross and everything that he went through, and what he experienced when he went into death, he did break the chains of death. And he rose, and by doing so, he crushed the serpent's head. Ay, 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 ay. When are the people going to get excited about that truth? <laughs> there we go. We move on. There was the animal in the garden that had to be slain. Genesis three twenty-one, And be skinned to provide Adam and Eve with some clothing. That also foreshadows the fact that Jesus had to die. So that you and I this morning can say we are clothed with the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And what about Abel's sacrifice, Genesis 4? Required the shedding of blood in order for it to be a a better and more acceptable sacrifice. What about the ram caught in the thicket that had to be uh, offered up in the place of Isaac? It was a substitutionary uh, offering, speaking of the substitutionary suffering of Jesus. What about the Passover lamb in Exodus 12? It had to be slain, and the blood had to be applied to the doorposts of the home, just as the blood of Christ by faith is applied to our lives. What about the entire Levitical sacrificial system? Leviticus chapters 1 through 5. It's all the foreshadowing of the suffering and the provision of Jesus. What about the the goat that had to be slain on the Day of Atonement? Leviticus 16.9. Another goat also, which was the scapegoat. Both of those foreshadow the work of Christ. What about the bronze serpent in in, in Numbers 21 that had to be lifted on a pole so that all who (coughs) looked at it would receive life and, and healing? What about the cursed man of Deuteronomy 21 that had to die on a tree, hang on a tree? What about the words in Psalm 22, that great messianic psalm, where the very words of Jesus spoken on the cross are recorded. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That psalm also goes on to talk about the fact that he'd be surrounded by many enemies who are like roaring lions. It talks about that he must be pierced, his hands and his feet. It talks about that they would count his bones, his body so ripped open and that the bones were visible. It talks about that they would divide his garments. And beyond, beyond Psalm 22, we got, thank you my friend, we've got Psalm 37. And his sufferings are, are mentioned in other places as well. Psalm 41, Zechariah 11, Psalm 34, 22. 
So much of what Jesus experienced on the cross is detailed in those Psalms. Excuse me. See, I don't preach often enough. That's why my voice goes. And those wonderful passages in the, in the book of Isaiah called the, the passages on the servant of the Lord. Isaiah 42, 49, 50, 52 and 53. They all speak about Jesus and how he must suffer. He must be a despised one. He must be abhorred by the nation. He must give, it, give his back to those who strike him. And his beard must be plucked out. Isaiah 52 says his appearance would be marred beyond recognition. And there's, there's at least ten other points in that same chapter which I don't have the time to cover. Jesus, in all the scriptures... He's suffering for us, detailed, long before it even happened. And he explained about himself in all the scriptures. I've got to close. We mentioned very briefly... that he entered into his glory. And again, the prophets pick up on his glory. And they talk about what he would achieve, accomplish, and inherit because he had suffered. I wish we had the time to look at those scriptures, but we don't. But when we come out on the other side of the Old Testament scriptures, we'll have discovered that he was there in prophecy, he was there in type, he was there in foreshadowing, he was there in many different ways, he was there in Christophanies as well. That is the central message of the Old Testament. Now I'm skipping to my last few sentences. What is your proper response to all of that? We see the Emmaus walkers eventually recognized him. They saw who he was. And they acknowledged that his being with them had warmed their hearts. Do you want your heart to be on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ? Then read the Old Testament and let Jesus show himself to you in those passages and then read the New Testament and see the greater light of the New Testament shining on the Old. I remember hearing something many, many, many years ago. And it says this. That the new was hidden in the old. 
but the old was revealed in the new. And that is exactly what has happened in Scripture. It's so important that that revelation brings us to that place where we see Jesus for ourselves. The main thing in the Bible is that the coming of Jesus was a mission of salvation, a mission of redemption. And we find the message in the old and we find it fulfilled in the new. The person of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, I'm going to digress just for a minute, please. In Psalm 139, verse 16, it says this about God, that his eyes, your eyes, God, saw my unformed substance. In other words, before he was even born. could argue before conception. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book, God's book, were written every one of them. There was written the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of those days. Pre-birth. I wish the abortion lobby could read that. I'm not going to go down there. Relax. I want to point out that it's possible that there's a book about you. The psalmist said, God, you wrote in your book about me. It's possible that there's God's writing in a book about you. The message puts it this way. All the stages of my life were spread out before you like a book. I look at Psalm 56 verse 8. It says, you have kept count of my turnings and tossing. My turmoil in other words. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Interesting, isn't it? Go and read also Malachi 3.16 and Revelation 20.12. But if, the if, not of supposition but of argument, if there is a book about you, here's the question. How is Jesus featuring on the pages of the book of your life? beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He revealed all concerning himself. Jesus, in all of the scriptures, and we're faced with a question today, I'm writing a story with my life. How prominent 
is Jesus in the story of my life. Let's stand. I want to encourage you to uh, make a mental note of this. But when you get home, go onto the internet and do a search for a poem, Jesus in every book of the Bible. Some of you have probably seen it already, but do that. Jesus in every book of the Bible, a poem, and it will bless your heart. Great inspirational writing. But my friends, the question remains. How is Jesus featuring in our lives? He featured prominently in all of Scripture. How is he featuring in our lives? And as we stand before you now, Father, nothing hidden from your sight, I pray that the preeminence of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, will be massive in our lives. Will be massive in this part of the family where we fellowship. Will be massive in regions beyond and massive, Lord, in every grouping of people that are truthfully, righteously worshipping you and doing what they can for your kingdom. Let the prominence of Jesus be evident. So much so that the residue of an indwelling Christ will fall on whoever we interact with and leave that unmistakable sensing that they've touched you in one way or another. Let us be the touch of God upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.